Here's our promise to you. Um, this is a safe place to be able to ask questions about Jesus, about who he is, about what your life um, should be about in terms of if you consider following Jesus Christ, because we're going to tell you what the Bible says, and we're going to promise that we'll do our best to show you the claims of Jesus as he speaks them out loud, actually, in the word. And the first thing I want to say is this. Um, when me and my wife Cassie uh, moved down from Chicago back to Miami, one of our first goals was to establish permanence in the city. And so just a couple of months ago, we purchased a home. We purchased a townhome, praise God, yeah. Um, and it's a fixer-upper, okay? It's a fixer-upper. Um, it was the kind of discipleship we didn't know we needed, all right? It was pretty <laughs> intense. And the first thing I want to say to you uh, from the bottom of our hearts, especially those of you who know uh, that we've bought this place, is thank you. Thank you. So many of you have helped us. You've carried trash. We had to demolish that whole house. Some of you have scrubbed the floors. And, man, I get to be able to tell my daughters, all right, the kind of church that you are. It's incredible for me to be able to say at the dinner table, look at the church so that they don't grow up like many pastor kids sometimes grow up, essentially hating the church. Thank you so much for the honor and the love that you have showed us. And I want to honor you for that. Praise God. I, 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 it, it's been hard for me to receive. I, it, it's been hard for me even to put it into words in this moment. So thank you so much. Okay, so today, um, man, we're going to continue. I haven't preached in four weeks, so um, I'm trying to contain myself, okay? <laughs> I'm trying to contain myself. I'm trying to, I'm trying to look chill, but inside there's a fire um, that is burning. I cannot wait to share with you. Um, and I, I cannot wait to talk about um, this text. I want to read it for you this morning. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount for a long time. If this is your first time here, here's what I want you to know. The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon preached by the most famous person in human history, Jesus Christ. And here's the point of the sermon. Or actually, here's what the sermon is doing. Jesus is showing us what it looks like to live as citizens of the kingdom of God here on earth. The sermon goes from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, and we've been walking through it, and today we're in Matthew chapter 6, and this is what Jesus says. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. Since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words, don't be like them. Because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. And then, He says, essentially the most famous teaching on prayer that Jesus ever delivered. He says this. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Maybe some of you have heard our Father in heaven 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. Let me pray once again. Father, please open our hearts to receive this word. Help us to understand. Please, God, move in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. In the film, um, Florence Foster Jenkins. Anybody ever seen that? Um, we meet Florence, played by Meryl Streep. And she's a wealthy patron of the arts who has this uh, really strong passion for opera. And she's famous for her philanthropy in, in history. And she has a great desire to perform in front of thousands of people. The only problem is that Florence is tone deaf. She's a horrible singer. Ira Siff, who's a famous opera organizer in the past, he wrote this about Florence Foster Jenkins. He said this, Jenkins was exquisitely bad. So bad that it added up to quite a good evening of theater. There was no end to the horribleness you think Twitter is savage. No, no. <laughs> they say Cole Porter had to bang his cane into his foot in order not to laugh out loud when she sang. She was that bad. The movie's documenting her biography, and one of the things that it shows is that she was so enamored with the idea of singing that she hires, and she's really wealthy, by the way, she hires the assistant conductor of the Metropolitan Opera to be her vocal coach. She hires a professional pianist by the name of Cosme McMoon to accompany her. She puts together these fancy parties to perform, and her manager, Bayfield, he pays everyone off so they can lie to her and tell her that she sounds really, really good. Even though the movie is quite entertaining and her story is truly fascinating, it also illustrates the lengths that people will go to in order to pretend to be somebody who they're not. Unfortunately, in this beautiful city of ours, a place that we deeply love, one of its darker um, idols is this idea of pretending to be somebody who you're not. It's the idea of keeping up with appearances. One of the dark sides of Miami is that, you know, people will do things like purchase cars that look really good in front of people just to go home. And feel asphyxiated by the payment. They purchase clothes they can't afford to impress people that don't really care to get in the parties. They'll soon forget. And the same thing can happen in the church. 
and with God. And it's been happening for thousands of years. That's why Jesus talks about it. We can come in here and we could put our smiles on and we could put our church clothes on and yet we can live diametrically opposed to the way of Jesus just to look good in front of people and save face. I've been there many times and maybe you have been there too. And here's the thing. When you read this text, what you realize is that pretending to connect to God, pretending is the very thing that actually keeps us from having a dynamic relationship with him. I'm not sure that there's anything more important. Like, and any, I'm not sure that there's anything more destructive to the Christian life than pretending to be fine when you're not. You end up lying to yourself. You end up lying to others. And you end up disconnecting yourself from God. And I don't know about you, I want to connect to God. I want to have a vibrant relationship with him. Don't you? I mean, listen, even in my darkest day when I don't want anything to do with God. You know that happens to pastors too, right? You know that, right? Jeff knows. Okay, cool. Listen, even in those darkest days, if somebody were to sit me down and tell me, hey, listen, I mean, don't you really, have a, don't you really want to have a thriving relationship with, like, Jesus? I'd be like, yeah, I do. I want to hear from him. I want to know him. I want to connect with him. And that's what we do in prayer. That's what we do in him. One, pre one preacher put it like this. Prayer is the acknowledgement that something is missing. Mostly everyone in the world prays to something or to someone. Prayer is the affirmation of what French philosopher Blaise Pascal once famously wrote. He said this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Prayer helps us to access, to ha have a relationship with God. And learning how to pray is not so much a matter of technique, it's a matter of the heart. So today as we look at this extraordinary, extraordinary passage, the Lord's Prayer, we're going to hear Jesus' famous teaching, and here's what we're going to learn. That if you want to connect to God in prayer, you must bring your real self in submission to God. If you want to connect to God, listen to me, in prayer, you must bring your real self to God in submission to him. So how should we pray? This is what Jesus says. Jesus starts, think about this, his most famous teaching on prayer with what you shouldn't do. Verse 5, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. If you're taking down notes, you can, you can write this down. How should we pray? What does Jesus say? Number one, well, don't use prayer for public acclaim. Don't use prayer for public acclaim. Think about what Jesus is saying here. This is very interesting, and I don't do this all the time because I want you to know that you can trust your Bible, and the translation is incredible. But sometimes when you look at a particular word in its original language in the New Testament in Greek, 
it's sort of like, you know, if you speak another language, you know that there's like a little, like, like a little gradient that's kind of cool. And this is the case in this particular text. There's a word. The word to be seen in front of others is really interesting is the word theaomai. It's an etymological root that shares, you know, it's shared with the word theater, right? Thespian, right? It's, it's, what is, what's Jesus doing here? What's Jesus doing? He's talking about praying in such a way that you want to show off. You want to be seen. You want to pretend to be spiritual. You haven't prayed in the closet. You haven't prayed at home, but somebody asked you to pray here, and people are like, wow, they're anointed. Wow. Pastor. <laughs> he says, listen, don't be like the hypocrites, which at the time of this writing, did you know that the word hypocrite is actually not bad? It's not a pejorative thing like it is today. Hypocrites was um, the term used for actors and orators back in the day. Over time, the word developed, and it came to be applied for anyone who wanted to treat the world as a stage on which they play a part. But in this context, if you went to a theater, right, in the first century, uh, you'd go watch a hypocrite get up on the stage or the platform, and they would play different roles. Just say it over to a hypocrite. No. Uh, and what that actor would do is they would wear a mask to play a particular character. And then in, in, if they, they wanted to play another character, they would just grab another mask and change it and play a different character. So it's all about the wearing of masks. So over time, hypocrites came to be known as people who change characters. And here Jesus is saying, when it comes to real life and when it comes to your relationship with God, don't do that. Don't wear masks. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ says you have a God who knows you. You have a God who, like, you don't need to pretend in order to be accepted by him. You don't have to wear a mask in order to come to him. You're not accepted by God because of your performance. You're accepted by him when you trust in the performance that Jesus Christ put on the cross for you. We don't have to pretend to be spiritual. When you pretend to be spiritual, you actually get your reward. It's this temptation uh, of, of having a persona versus living as an actual person. You know what I'm talking about? This, unfortunately, man, this, this happens to, to people that are on a stage. And, you know, all of a sudden you get to know somebody through the movies and you think they have a particular personality. Like, dude, man, Tom Cruise is such a nice guy, bro. You know what I'm saying? He's really good. Really, really cool dude. Very disciplined. Very disciplined man. I don't know him. You don't know him. Same thing can happen, right, to pastors. They could feel so, so warm and... But you, but do you have a relationship with them? Do you know what their person is like? Or do you just know the persona? It's the same thing that could happen between you and me. We could come to church and we could have a persona. It's our, it's our church persona rather than coming with, with our person. Coming to him, coming to God and to one another without masks. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us to perform for public acclaim. 
He wants us to come before him with sincerity, with transparency. Yeah. Human beings, listen, we like to pretend that we're more spiritual than sometimes we really are because it brings us honor. Right? When you pray like a really nice prayer, wow, you know, that's what it does. And when people are big, writes Ed Welch, when people are big, God is small. Don't trade, listen, eternal reward for temporary applause. Don't use prayer as an opportunity to build this public platform. You know what happens when you do? Jesus says this. I tell you, the people that do that, they receive their reward. That verb, okay, you know what it means? It, it's it's the, at the time, that verb to receive their reward in full. That verb was used of commercial transactions. And it meant to receive a sum in full and to give a receipt for it. So the hypocrites who seek applause will get it, what Jesus says, and then that's all they're going to get, applause from people. And then one day they will be judged like everybody else. D.A. Carson writes this, could it be that the prime reason we don't see more prayers answered is because we are less concerned with bringing our request to God than with showing them off before men. If you came here with a mask today, I want to encourage you to take it off. Come to the Lord with honesty, with transparency. You know what the psalmist writes in Psalm 51? A broken and contrite heart I will not despise. How do you pray? Well, the first thing is you don't pretend to do it for public acclaim. But the second, the second principle, one of the second principles you see here, look at, look at verse chapter 6, actually. Let's read that. Jesus says, well, when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. So interesting. Um, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for the many words. Don't be like them, because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. How, how should we pray Jesus? Number one, okay, don't pray for public acclaim. Don't use prayer. Number two, cultivate the secret place. Cultivate the secret place. I love this vision from Jesus. He gives us a vision of our relationship to God that is so intimate. It's demonstrated to others in public, but it's fueled in private. It's fueled in private. Prayer is like the ultimate test of integrity. It's what you do when no one else is watching but God. He cares about this secret place. He's not condemning public prayer, right? Jesus performs that. The church has done this. We are blessed when we pray um, together. But there is an emphasis about prayer being this conversation and this relationship between us and God. When no one else is watching, God is saying, you know what? Pray to your father who sees in secret. When's the last time that you intentionally cultivated that secret place between you and God? 
you want to connect with him deeply in prayer, you have to bring your real self before him in submission to God in this secret place. I, of course, you can't help but to read this and to think uh, sometimes for those of you who are parents, like just, just your experience as a father. You know, you know what's really off-putting as a dad? When I take my girls to a party and they begin to act totally different. <laughs> I'm like, what happened? And who taught you to speak to me like that? But they know it's in public, so like I can't do anything, you know. I'm like, come here, you know. I, I, I never thought I would do what my parents did. But I can't help it. Yeah, come. Yeah. <laughs> it's really off-putting because they begin to talk to me in a way to like, I don't know, impress their friends or to seem cool to somebody else. And yet at the same time, you know what's really incredibly beautiful is when I'm putting them on, you know, I'm putting them to bed and the distractions are off and the music is off. And for a moment, I can, I can capture their hearts and they can talk to me and I can talk to them. And those become some of the most memorable memories between us in that secret place no one knows and i begin to know their heart and they begin to know mine in an infinitely more divine way god wants to do the same thing with you and me he wants to cultivate this intimacy with you and with me and it happens when we pray to him and it's no pretenses just us and him, in him. It's so interesting. You know, Jesus, in this entire chapter, I don't know if you notice, if you have your Bible in front of you, you can, you can just do this really quickly without going to Google or anything like that, right? So um, Jesus, in this entire chapter, he could have used so many sophisticated words to describe God. But what he chose to do is he chose to teach his disciples about the kingdom of God in relation to him by using the term Father. He could have used all-powerful God, Elohim, Adonai. There's all these different words that you can use to describe the nature of God. But in this particular passage, in Matthew chapter 6, he uses Father over nine times. Our Father who is in heaven will see it. Our Father, your, your Father, when we pray, we, I want you to get this. We're not talking to some distant deity. Somebody out there built a, a clock known as the world, and then they left. This cosmic watchmaker, you guys figure it out now. No, that's not God. The nature of God is a God who is entirely other, and he's our father, and he's holy, and he must be worshipped as that. But at the same time, he's intimate. And he wants to have a relationship with us. So many scholars have talked about this and how Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount. And most likely, he's speaking in Aramaic, which means when he uses the term Father, he's using the term Abba. Abba, which translates into English or Spanish like, like Papa. It's a term of intimacy. It's a term of endearment. It is in the New Testament. This is so interesting. It's the first time when Jesus comes when he is revealing the nature of our intimate relationship with the Father. It's not the same in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Bible speaks 
of God as a father in relation to the nation of Israel. But in the New Testament, man, there's this intimacy that is personal and it's incredible and we get to enjoy it. It is countercultural during this time, right? It's this term of intimacy, of embrace, like, like, wow, God, how could you do this? Like, how could you stoop and, and listen to our ear and want to have a relationship with us and love us so much that you would send your son so that we can have access in our room, right? In our church, like we can talk to God. That's incredible that we have that kind of access and that kind of relationship. And so when we come to the Father, when we come to our Abba, Right, we're coming to him fearless, no matter what our mistakes have been in the past. No matter what we have done, we can come to him and experience his love. We can receive that love. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you. Receive that this morning. Nothing can separate you from the love of of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we must cultivate the secret place. But how do we pray? We have to also acknowledge his identity and your total dependence on him. How do we pray, Carlos? We acknowledge who he is, his identity, and our total dependence on him. When Jesus says our Father, and when we say our Father, right, it's reminding us about the nature of who God is. Sometimes I ask people the question, do you pray? And they may say, yes. And I'll say, who do you pray to? Well, we don't pray to some impersonal energy out there that's going to help us to manifest our positive thoughts. No. We pray to our Father. Our Father in heaven. And when we do that, it not only reminds us of his identity, but then our identity as children. People who have written books on prayer, if you've ever read a book on prayer, they often talk about this idea of dependence. So when we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we are affirming that we are fully dependent on God. And un until you understand this existentially and not just intellectually, you will not have the prayer life that you long for. There's this guy, Jonathan Edwards that writes about the difference between knowing intellectually that honey is sweet and actually tasting the goodness of honey. It's the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God in prayer. Until you understand existentially that you are dependent on God, not just intellectually, you will not experience the prayer life that you desire the intimacy that you long for. Because you know what? I'll give you just a couple of thoughts of people that have written about prayer. This is guy, Hallisby. He writes this, only he who is helpless can truly pray. Ian Bounds, who wrote a, a lot of books on prayer, he says this, prayer is an expression of the soul's dependence upon God. Prayer is a realization that you cannot do life on your own. If you don't realize this, take it to the bank. You will not pray. Prayerlessness is saying, God, I can make it without you today. 
Have, haven't you ever met somebody who prays? Like a lot? Like a prayer warrior? Anybody? Yeah? You, you, you met a prayer warrior before? What do you notice about them? You can talk back to me. It's fine. <laughs> what do you think? Joyful. Yeah. What else? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. They have a lot of faith. There's humility. They listen. People that pray. You know, they're some of the most mature people I know. They probably know more Bible, right, than anybody else. They're more mature. They've gone through more suffering than a lot of people. They've walked with Jesus longer. And here's what's interesting. <laughs> Even though they're more mature and they have more knowledge about who God is, they also have a greater awareness of their need and dependence on God. They're more aware. They have all this knowledge, all of this training, all of this maturity, and that maturity and training and development actually leads them to a place of greater dependence. Not less. You would think, like in real life, oh, I figured this out, therefore I could just move forward on my own. No. The more you learn about God in Christianity, the more that you develop your relationship with him, the more that you're like, oh, my gosh, I need God. I need him. I, I, really, I really do. I'm helpless without him. I grow in my dependence. I grow in my awareness of myself as, as a sinful person that is in need of a savior. This is what happens in prayer. We, we have to acknowledge his identity and then our total dependence on him. I'll give you a fourth one. Man, I'm not going to have time to cover this whole thing. I told you. I, I couldn't wait to talk about this. Look, how do we pray? You pray for his will to be done in every facet of your life. Okay? Pray for his will to be done in every facet of your life. Oh, okay, cool, Carlos. That sounds kind of self-explanatory. Well, let's read it. All right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the kingdom of God? Just a little review. I love how Jeremy Treat, this guy, puts it. He wrote a book on the kingdom of God. He says, God, what is the kingdom of God? It's God's reign through God's people over God's place. God's reign through God's people over God's place. Oh, so what does that mean? God's already in control. We believe that God is sovereign. But when Jesus says that he came to establish his kingdom on earth, he's giving us a vision of a world that is reordered around the powerful love of Jesus Christ. It's a world that is reordered, right? That, that when, you, when you see this kingdom of God, there's something different. That God moves in a different way in people's lives. The church is supposed to be a metaphor and an embassy of the kingdom of God on earth so that when people come to reality, man, they, they see something a little different. They're like, wait, hold on for a second. There's different things going on here, right? This is a, a place where God reigns. This is, this is a place that, that is ordered in such a way that it reveals the kingdom of God in a tangible way to people. Isn't that a cool vision for a church? It's the kingdom of God revealed to people, embodied here on, on, on earth, right? And so, he, so Jesus says, you know what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And sometimes when people pray this, they think, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to do the things that I really wanted to do. 
I really wanted to do these things, but now I'm praying for your will to be done. Okay. <laughs> you know? C.S. Lewis, he says this about that. He says, when first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. <laughs> God is not a cosmic killjoy. He is for your joy. And when we pray for his kingdom to come here on earth, what we're asking for is, God, I want heaven on earth. God, there's so much pain in this life. There's so much suffering, Lord. I'm praying your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. I want to see you ruling and reigning in an incredible way in my home, God. God, your will be done in my home. Please, God, I want to see heaven on earth in my home. In the way that I treat my children and my friendships, God, your, your kingdom come here. Your kingdom come at work. God, your will be done. Help me to be, right, the best employer or employee that I can be. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray your kingdom come, not only are we asking God to invade every area of our lives, we're also saying, God, we're not here to manipulate you. We're not manipulating God when we pray. Do you remember what we read? Verse 7, it says this. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Right? Prayer in the non-Jewish world at the time was characterized particularly by these formal incantations, these like magical invocations in which the correct repetition counted rather than the worship's attitude. Rather than your heart, what counted was kind of like the formula. It was like a Harry Potter style of prayer. You know what I'm saying? You got to have the right thing and say the right thing in order for the spell to work. This is not the kind of God that we serve. What you're trying to do in that case is it, the idea was to try to get a God to like you enough so that they would do your bidding. But that's not our Heavenly Father. Our Father wants a relationship. He wants a relationship. He knows our needs before we ask Him. But He still wants to talk to us in the secret place. To learn from Him. To love Him. And so sometimes, haven't you done this? You ask God for what you want without having a relationship with Him. Don't we do that sometimes? We want to manipulate Him sometimes. We want him to pleasure us without having a relationship. You know what we call a person who we want to give us pleasure without a relationship? A whore. I heard a pastor put it like this. Whenever you call on God to bless your pursuits, Without pursuing any relationship, you've just sought to make God your whore. And one of the things we learned in this text is that God is your father. He made you. He wants a relationship with him and he will not be manipulated. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We are acknowledging who he is. And we're acknowledging 
that he is entirely holy and awesome. We don't just read the Bible to get what we want. We read it to get to know him, to get to know the heart of God. God, forgive us when we try to come and manipulate you. But the mercy of God is so incredible. Reminds me of Romans chapter 5. You know what Paul writes? He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God knew who I was. God knew that I would pretend. God knew that I would try to manipulate him. He knew all of the things I would do to mess up. And to slap him in the face, essentially. And he still chose to love me. To adopt me. To include me. To save me. To fill me with the spirit. To give me a purpose for life. To invite me into a family called the church. This is what God does. While you were still sinners, right? When God says, I knew what you were going to do. You don't have to pretend anymore. I chose to love you before the foundations of the earth. This is the kind of God that we serve. And this same God, you know what he's inviting us into this morning? He's inviting us to take off our masks, right? To submit ourselves to him, to him and to be able to come to him with open hands and just talk to him, to pray with him. Where are you, right? Where are you in your relationship with God? He wants to connect with you. Right? He wants to bless you in this way, in having a relationship with him. He wants to invite us right, to be that kind of church, a church that prays, a church that, that depends on him. A church that, that when people come in, in, in this place, they see a, a real hunger, right? a real hunger for God. Not just, not just people playing church. That's certainly not what I want. And I know most likely inside of your heart, that's not what you want either. So here's what I want to invite us to do. I'm going to ask the band to come up now. We're going to pray, and we're going to sing to him. We're going to actually sing a song to him, and I want you to listen to the words, and when you learn it, I want to invite you to sing them. But this morning, I want you to think about those three things that we've learned so far about the Lord's Prayer. I want you to think about, hey, uh, have, have I used prayer as a means of pretending that I'm spiritual? Right? In my family, at church, at home. I, I want to I invite you today to take off your mask. Right? That if you've come to him like that, I want to I invite you. God, please show me, Lord, who you are, God. Help me to come before you with vulnerability. He's your father in heaven. Maybe today you want to acknowledge that. God, you are my father. Right? Help me. Why don't you come to him? Why do, in, in the place that you're in, in the chair that you're in, as we sing, as we pray, why don't you take this opportunity to learn to trust him again? To learn to pray to him honestly and sincerely. If you need help, tell him, help me, Lord. If you have certain cares uh, personally, if, if you're struggling with something, something particular in your life, why don't you bring it before him today, honestly, as a father would with his children. This is the kind of love we have. Why don't you pray to him?
why don't you ask him? If you haven't cultivated a secret place, maybe I just want you to take one step today, one step, one step with him in your journey with him. Maybe, maybe it's just learning a little bit more about how to do that. And if you're here and you're like, Carlos, I'm going to be honest with you, dude, I've never prayed. I've never prayed. I've never had, you know, this secret place. Sounds kind of weird, actually. If you need help, we would love to help you just take a next step today. Or maybe you're here, and what you've done is you've been rebellious before the Lord. And you don't pray your kingdom come, your will be done. You, you've been praying my kingdom become. Thank you, Lord, for, be, for being on the side of my life. Maybe today you, you come back to him and you learn to trust that he's actually got your best intentions at heart. And you pray this morning, you worship him, and you say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I pray, Lord, God, that today we would realize that we need you. We need you, God. We are dependent on you. Forgive us for when we think we could just do life without you, God. Help us to turn to you. Help us to not pretend in this place, Lord. God, forgive me, Lord, for not seeking you as I should. God, forgive us when we don't do that. God, I pray today for a, a beautiful spirit, Lord, of humility, of repentance, Lord, but also of assurance and of joy that you're a heavenly Father who wants to hear from us, who deserves our worship and our adoration. We, we, I pray, Holy Spirit, please do a great work in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name.